You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Explorers Podcast. Thank you for inviting me and the show into your digital world. Today is part two of our series on Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay and the conquest of Everest. Last time, we did a review of the Everest expeditions of the 1930s, and then covered the early life of Ed Hillary up to his participation in the 1951 British Mount Everest Reconnaissance Expedition. The expedition had done its job and identified a potential route up to the summit of Everest from the south side. We had left things in early 1952, as a Swiss expedition was planning on making it go for the summit. The British would have to wait until 1953 for their turn. So today, we are going to do a dive into the life of our other star of this series, Tenzing Norgay. And it is a fascinating story, because Tenzing literally was born and grew up in the shadow of Everest, or Chomolungma as it was known by the local people. And when we tell the story of Tenzing Norgay, we will weave in the story of the early porters and guides and translators who populated the Himalayan expeditions of the 1920s and 30s and beyond. We will wrap things up with the 1952 Swiss Mount Everest expedition, which Tenzik was a part of, and came oh so close to reaching the summit of the Great Mountain. Let us start things out with a couple of notes regarding Tenzing. The first note is about his name. Tenzing was born into a world that did not use surnames, which did not become a common thing in the Nepal region until the 1960s. What this means is that Tenzing Norgay is generally referred to as Tenzing, not Norgay. And that is why I will be referring to the man by his quote-end-quote first name. Just wanted to make that clear. Second note, the details of Tenzing's early life are often fuzzy and at times conflicting. Tenzing, or his family, never learned to read or write, so there are no journals or letters or research to draw upon. And his people were farmers and laborers, and few records were kept that would give us information about his family, such as birth certificates or marriage licenses. And with that in mind, we can start out our story today with some fuzzy history by talking about when and where Tenzing Norgay was born. No one recorded the date or year of Tenzing's birth, but it is believed to have been in 1914, and, based upon the weather and crop situation at the time, in the month of May. No specific date was known, and later in life, Tenzing would adopt May 29th as his birthday, which is the date he and Hillary would summit Everest. So Tenzig was born in May of 1914, but where exactly was he born? Ah, that is another good question. History is fuzzy on this as well. Early stories said that he was born in Nepal to parents from Tibet, and Tenzing said that this was the case. 
However, later accounts, including one written by his son, indicate that Tenzing was actually born in Tibet, in the Kama Valley, one day east of Everest. As a boy, Tenzing would move to the Kumbu region in southeastern Tibet, which is the home of many Sherpas. Because of this, Tenzing is often seen as a Sherpa from Nepal, when in reality, he was more likely born in Tibet. I want to stress that neither of these is the definitive answer, but the latter option, being born in Tibet, appears to be the most likely. Birthplace aside, Tenzing's father was Gangli Mingma, a yak herder, and his mother was Dokmo Kinzam. They were Tibetan Buddhists. Tenzing was the 11th of either 13 or 14 children, I have read both numbers, most of whom would die young. His birth name, however, was not Tenzing, but Namye Wangdi. By the way, I apologize for the awkward pronunciations of many of these names and places. Anyhow, as a child, Tenzing was sickly, and thus his name was changed on the advice of Nagawang Tenzing Norbu, the head lama and founder of the Rongbuk Monastery, which is on the north side of Everest. This was the same man who had blessed the Everest expeditions of the 1920s. To change one's name was a way to leave behind past problems and open up new opportunities. The new name given to him by the lama would be Tenzing Norgay, which roughly translates as wealthy, fortunate follower of religion. By the way, it was common for a lama to give his name to a child brought to him for renaming. Tenzing's family, like most people in the region, were extremely poor, and they lived very hard lives. Most land was owned by the monasteries or huge landowners, and the vast majority of people were farmers, herders, laborers, or domestic servants. Tenzing's family often would move with the yak herds, depending on the time of year. Now, I want to point out that Tenzing, whether born in Tibet or Nepal, was not a Sherpa, even if he spent much of his youth around them. He and his family were considered Tibetan. The Sherpas, by the way, are a Tibetan ethnic group of the Himalayan region found mainly in eastern Nepal. Their language is a dialect of Tibetan. Again, Tenzing was not a Sherpa, although he would become very entwined with their culture. So, the likely story of Tenzing's early years was that he initially lived in Karda in Tibet, before moving over the mountains to Kumbu. Kumbu is near Mount Everest, and it is where the 1951 expedition would come before heading up the mountain. As a boy, Tenzing recalled the foreign expeditions coming through the Karda Valley on the Tibetan side of Everest. It's possible one of these included George Mallory. No matter, the boy was enthralled by these odd men wearing fancy clothes and boots, and who commanded scores of porters and carried around all sorts of exotic gear. Tenzing said that he wanted to be like those men. At one point, Tenzing would be placed in a monastery, but the strict lifestyle was not for him, and he would run away. And then, when he was 13, he would run off to Kathmandu, the capital of Nepal. However, the young boy quickly became homesick and headed back to Kambu. So, as Tenzing got older, he would grow into a tall, at least for a local, handsome and confident young man. At the age of 18, he would meet a young woman named Dawa Futi, and the two would fall in love. The problem was that the young woman was from a prosperous Sherpa family, and Tenzing, well, he was a Tibetan without money or prospects. Dawa Fudi's family would try to arrange a marriage for her, but before it could happen, she and Tenzing would run off together, heading for Darjeeling, India, which was a common destination for those heading out of Nepal and Tibet. The year would have been 1932. Now a little history about the people, such as Tenzing, who came to Darjeeling at this time. First, Darjeeling is located in the northeast area of India in the region of Bengal and offers quick access to Tibet, which is only about 50 miles or 80 kilometers away. Darjeeling is located at an elevation of 6,700 feet or 2,000 meters and in the latter half of the 1800s became a large-scale grower of tea. This meant that there was a need for laborers and thus the city became a common destination for men and women coming out of Tibet and Nepal looking for work. 
But in the early 1900s, the interest in the Himalayan mountains meant a new industry had emerged. The close proximity of the Himalayas and Tibet meant that foreigners, mostly British to start, came to outfit expeditions and would thus hire the local people as porters and guides and interpreters. The Tibetan and Nepali immigrants were perfect for this. They worked for cheap and knew a lot about the region, and most importantly, they were already acclimated to operating in the high altitudes. They had grown up at heights of more than 10 and 12,000 feet and didn't struggle compared to people from lower altitudes. British mountaineer Eric Shipton, when speaking of the Sherpas, would say, quote, the best of them are unbeatable, end quote. And another reason the Sherpas and Tibetans were desired for the mountain expeditions was that they were mostly Buddhists as opposed to Hindus. 80% of Nepalis are Hindus, as are most Indians. Hindus have a much more strict diet than Buddhists. This made it easier for the British to work with the Sherpas and Tibetans as they didn't have to worry about maintaining any special dietary needs for their porters. So even before the British expeditions of the 1920s, people were coming to Darjeeling to organize Himalayan mountain expeditions. Some of these were literally sightseers and tourists. Others were government officials out to survey and map. No matter who, it was the Sherpas and Tibetans who were viewed as the best porters. By the way, the Tibetans in India were called Bhotia. This was how Tenzing Norgay was viewed at the time, and he is often called Tenzing Bhotia, reflecting his Tibetan birthplace. So with the arrival of these expeditions, the Darjeeling porters would begin to form their own community, and this would be formalized with the creation of the Himalayan Club in 1928. The idea was to create a place that foreigners could go to to find qualified mountain porters and guides. This was a huge advantage for these expeditions, as they could avoid unqualified workers, a major issue when headed into difficult and remote terrain. As you can imagine, being a card-carrying member of the Himalayan Club was a great thing, as it guaranteed a Sherpa more work. By the way, when I use the term Sherpa, it often means more than just the ethnic Sherpa people. It will mean Tibetan and Nepali people as well. But many of these mountain porters will just be lumped into the term of Sherpa, and I do use it that way sometimes. I just wanted to let you know. Now, I want to note that over time, the Himalayan Club members used their status to bargain for better pay and conditions. You'll find things such as the Sherpas not having to carry luggage or gear until they reached higher altitudes, thus keeping them fresh. Another huge perk was equipment. The elite porters often got to keep their clothing and gear. This was almost as valuable as the pay they received. Regarding pay, they'd get more money for high-altitude work, and there would be compensation due to injuries, as well as deaths, because we can't forget that this was a very dangerous profession. So let us jump back to 1932, when 18-year-old Tenzing arrived in Darjeeling with his girlfriend. At 5'8", Tenzing was tall for a local. He was also good-looking and not lacking in confidence, and he had a smile that was absolutely infectious. This may seem like an odd thing to bring up, but it's true. Look at the photos of Tenzing, and he's got this unbelievable smile. And when reading about him, virtually every person comments on his magnetic and winning smile. In a lot of ways, it would reflect his personality. Warm, confident, friendly, and trusting. Unfortunately for Tenzing, his smile was not going to get him a job. At least not yet. And that's because when he arrived in Darjeeling, he had no experience, no connections, no family in the industry, and was not even a Sherpa. Thus, he could not find work as a porter. Instead, he would spend the next couple of years at various jobs, including that of cowherder and laborer. At one point, he went back to Tibet to see his parents afterward reached him that they thought he was dead. To make some money, he would work carrying Tibetan salt over the Himalayas. It was a brutal job, hauling 80-pound loads over a mountain pass of more than 18,000 feet, or 5,500 meters, and he vowed never to do it again. In 1935, Tenzig would get married to Dawa Fudi. 
This would help him acclimate into the Sherpa community, although her family disowned her for what she had done and never took her back. And then, in that same year, Tenzing would have the break he was looking for. The 1935 British Reconnaissance Expedition, led by Eric Shipton, was hiring porters. The expedition's interpreter was Karma Paul, who had worked with the British back in the 1920s. Fourteen porters would be selected from a hundred applicants, but not Tenzing. But then, at the last minute, Shipton decided to add two more. Tenzing, despite not speaking any English, would get the call, and his life would be changed. By the way, a photo of this scene exists. I put it on our website, explorerspodcast.com. It shows Shipton sitting at a table while a bunch of Sherpas, including Tenzing, are milling about. About that moment, Shipton would write that he and his team had picked mostly men that he knew, but added this, quote, But there was one Tibetan lad of 19, a newcomer, chosen largely because of his attractive grin. His name is Tenzing Norke, or Tenzing Bodia, as he is generally called. End quote. Shipton, by the way, incorrectly listed Tenzing as 19 when he would have actually been 20. No matter, Tenzing had a job. He would earn the equivalent of three quarters of a rupee a day, the rate going up to one rupee above the snow line. But more importantly, he now had his papers from the Himalayan Club, which meant that he was at the front of the line for getting expedition work in the future. Now, as noted before, the expedition's leader, Eric Shipton, hated large-scale military-style expeditions, and this would work to Tenzing's advantage, as the smaller team and varying kinds of work would allow him to stand out amongst his peers. Essentially, Tenzing would get a crash course in mountaineering, and he would get to work closely with the expedition Sirdar, Angthar K, and learn how to manage an expedition. And from Angthar K and the other Sherpas, he learned about the brotherhood they shared, these men were professionals, and they not only served their employers, but each other. He saw and admired how they looked out for one another. At one point, the Sherpas were told to carry heavy loads before reaching base camp, something not in their contract. They refused to be cowed by Shipton's orders to do so, and instead threatened to quit. Shipton would relent. Another time, while on Everest, the Sherpas refused to go on when the snows were considered too dangerous. It irritated the British, but they did not press the issue. By the way, regarding the attitudes toward the Sherpas and other workers such as Tenzing, there was a common perception by the Europeans that the local people didn't have the right spirit, I'm using air quotes there, to climb Everest. The British would say things such as, if these Sherpas and Tibetans actually had the right stuff, they would have climbed Everest themselves ages ago. But that thinking is really narrow-minded. To the locals, there was no reason to climb Everest. Did climbing to 30,000 feet or 10,000 meters get them more food to feed their families, or help them with their harvest, or keep them warm in the cold winters. It did none of those things, and in fact, it would have only hurt the family by denying them an able worker. And what about the idea of doing it all for king and country? Ha! That was laughable to the Sherpas and Tibetans. These were people who lived most of their lives just trying to survive, and things like borders and empires were meaningless to them. In the end, they climbed the Himalayas because it was a job. They gained no glory or fortune or fame from it, unlike the English, who risked life and limb so they could go back home as heroes. So climbing just didn't matter that much to the local people. To unnecessarily risk their lives for a job that was already terribly dangerous was just foolish. However, all that said, the Sherpas were, by this time, recognized as the finest porters and guides in the world. They were hard, selfless workers who were unfailingly cheerful and enthusiastic as long as they weren't asked to do crazy stuff. I've read the Sherpas described as having the desire to serve without being servile and I think that fits this time and place. As for Tenzing, he exhibited all these qualities, and he would impress everyone on the expedition. Dan Bryant, a New Zealander, would say this of Tenzing, quote, 
most obliging, willing, and helpful in camp. He is a delightful chap with a keen sense of humor. He was one of the first porters I would take were I to go on another expedition. End quote. He would also add, quote, he will make an excellent climber with a little more experience. End quote. Something about Tenzing noted by others was how keen of an observer he was. And he talked about this himself, saying he quickly learned who was good at their job and studied and copied them, whether it was Ang Tharke and his role as Sirdar, or one of the climbers cutting a step in the ice or setting a rope. He watched the best and learned from them. As for the expedition, Tenzing loved it. He learned about glaciers and snowfields and cutting steps with his axe. He learned how to use a rope, and now he had snow goggles and high-altitude clothing, a sign of his elevated station. He would climb up to the North Call at 23,000 feet, or 7,000 meters, while carrying 90-pound, or 40-kilogram, loads. He liked what he was doing, and he was good at it, exceptionally good. In fact, his ability to operate at high altitudes for long periods made people joke that he had a third lung. In the end, the expedition would be a great success, despite early snows thwarting any climbs above the North Call. They would spend six weeks roaming around the foothills of Everest in what was described by one of the mountain climbers as, quote, an orgy of mountain exploration and climbing, end quote. The team would climb 26 peaks over 20,000 feet, or 6,700 meters. Tenzing would climb one peak of 22,740 feet, or 7,580 meters. The expedition's leader, Eric Shipton, would say, quote, we had a delicious time, end quote. That is an awesome quote, and very much describes Shipton and his attitudes towards what they were doing. Now a few notes about Tenzing's first Everest expedition. One, he would become the personal porter for one of the climbers. This was considered an honor and gave him an elevated status. It was a sign of his rising importance amongst the Sherpas. Two, while we talked a lot about how the locals weren't that interested in climbing, we see something a bit different begin to emerge with some of the Sherpas, including Tenzing. Climbing was becoming more than a job, and Tenzing began to wonder about going higher and reaching the summit of these great mountains. About that, he would say, quote, When I am on Everest, I can think of nothing else. I want to go on farther and farther. It is a dream, a need, a fever in the blood. End quote. And with that, Tenzing Norgate had caught the climbing bug that had infected so many before him, including men such as George Mallory and Eric Shipton. Otherwise, he would return from his first expedition a very different man. He had gained a ton of experience, earned his entry into the Himalayan Club, made invaluable connections, and started down a path that would make him a mountaineer, not just a porter. Also, 1935 would bring him something else, a child, when Tenzing's wife would give birth to a son, Nima Dorji. So things were good for Tenzing. With his inclusion in the Himalayan Club, he would gain steady work for the rest of the 1930s. The expeditions were never the same, but they all tended to follow strict social guidelines, with the Sherpas being the hired help who didn't mingle with their European employers. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusion supply. 
Tenzig would take part in the 1936 British Everest expedition led by Hugh Rutledge, who Tenzig liked very much. The expedition would mostly be a failure, as the monsoon snows came weeks early, thwarting any serious attempt at the summit. Tenzing would, again, stand out due to his tireless efforts and engaging personality. Otherwise, he would work as a porter on a variety of expeditions, continuing to learn and grow as a climber and as a leader. And we cannot forget that this was a very dangerous job. In addition to avalanches and cold, there was disease and illness to deal with. On one endeavor, Tenzing developed a fever so severe, he almost died. Another thing Tenzing did was learn to adapt to his hosts and their expectations. As we noted, he was a keen observer, and thus he quickly learned how to anticipate the needs of his employer. This included adopting European dress and styles when appropriate, and learning English. By the end of the 1930s, he had a passable understanding of it. Add this to his exceptional work, and it made Tenzing a man who people liked and trusted. In 1938, Tenzing would accompany the 1938 British Everest Expedition. It was a smaller endeavor than the previous ones, with just 12 porters, including Tenzing. On this expedition, Tenzing would be visited by his father, and it was probably the last time the two would ever see each other. One of the highlights of the expedition included Tenzing climbing to the height of 27,200 feet, or 9,070 meters, often blazing the trail. At one point, Tenzing earned a 20-rupee bonus, when at a height of about 27,000 feet, a couple of the Sherpas could not continue and had to abandon their loads and head back down the mountain. Tenzing would continue up the mountain, drop off his load, and then go back down and get the abandoned loads. It was a great example of his strength and endurance, as well as his confidence in himself. For his exceptional work on the expedition, Tenzing would earn his tiger badge. This was bestowed only on the very best Sherpas, those who had displayed excellence at extreme altitudes. The expedition also highlighted the dangers of the profession when Tenzing would be swept down a mountain in an avalanche. He would later recount this moment, saying, quote, the snows were very steep, and also deep, as high as our waists, and we were moving slowly and with difficulty, when suddenly there was a sort of cracking sound all around us, and the snow began to move too. The next minute we were all sliding down it. I am off my feet, turning over and over, my head under the snow, and it is dark. I remember, of course, what happened in 1922, and I think it is the same thing again. It is the end. End quote. But, thankfully, it was not the end. Tenzing would stop his slide with his axe. So, aside from his life as a porter, in the late 1930s, Tenzing and his wife would have two more children, both girls, Pempem and Nima. However, sadly, his son, Nima Dorji, would die in 1939 due to dysentery. Also, in 1939, the outbreak of World War II would change everything. The high-altitude expeditions would stop. However, Tenzing was lucky as he had made some connections. He would ultimately find work as an orderly for British Major in the 9th Gurkhas in Chitral, which is what is now northern Pakistan. The job wasn't necessarily what he wanted to be doing, but it offered him steady pay and the opportunity to spend a lot of time outdoors in the nearby hills and mountains. He would be able to do some climbing and learn to ski, something he would come to love. In 1944, just five years after the death of his son, Tenzig would suffer another tragedy when his wife, Dawa Fudi, would die after a series of illnesses. Tenzing was devastated by the loss and moved back to Darjeeling in 1945 to be near family and friends. In time, Tenzing would meet another Sherpani named Ang Lamu. She was four years older than Tenzing and a widow, but she had no children of her own. She had worked as a nanny to some British children in Darjeeling and thus spoke good English. Ang Lamu would be a steadying influence on Tenzing. She was sensible and modest and took on many of the tasks of raising Tenzing's young girls. 
By the way, in case you were wondering, Sherpa Ni is what you call a female Sherpa. So the end of the war would bring some normalcy to the lives of Tenzing and the Sherpas of Darjeeling. However, there would be a few political events that would turn the region upside down. The first was Indian independence, which took place in 1947. This would diminish the British influence in the region, but not eliminate it. It would also mean the split of India and Pakistan, which would keep many foreigners out of the region for a time. The second event was the communist victory in the Chinese Civil War in 1949, followed by their seizure of Tibet in 1950. This would block access to Everest from the north, where all previous attempts on the mountain had been conducted. And third, there was the fall of the Rana dynasty in Nepal, which had basically ruled the country for about 100 years. This would mean that access to Nepal and the southern approach to Everest would now be open to foreigners for the first time. Now, I do want to mention that before the Chinese takeover, Tenzing would spend nine months traveling through Tibet with an eccentric Italian explorer and scholar named Giuseppe Tucci. Tucci was an expert on Nepal and Tibet. On the expedition, Tenzing would meet the 13-year-old Dalai Lama for the first time. Also in 1947, Tenzing would participate in a small expedition to climb Everest, led by a Canadian named Earl Denman. The expedition included only Denman, Tenzing, and one other Sherpa, and they illegally entered Tibet and made for Everest. The three men lacked proper gear and supplies, and Denman would abandon the attempt after getting pounded by a snowstorm at 22,000 feet, or 6,700 meters. After the Denman fiasco, Tenzing would join a Swiss expedition to the Galwal Himalayas in India as a porter. However, the expedition Sirdar would be seriously injured, and Tenzing would perform admirably in the rescue of the man. He would then become Sirdar for the rest of the expedition. Climbing with the Swiss would be an eye-opener for Tenzing. The Swiss and Sherpas were mountain people, and thus shared a bond. Tenzing loved how the Swiss found so much joy in their climbing, and the camaraderie he felt with them was unique, as the social barriers were much less rigid than with the British. After successfully climbing a peak, the entire party, the Swiss and the Sherpas, all sat down and celebrated with wine. That was something the British would never have done. For Tenzing, he appreciated that the Swiss treated him and the other Sherpas as comrades rather than hired men. And I should point out that the Swiss were equally impressed with Tenzing. When trying to climb a mountain, Keternath, it was Tenzing who pushed the Swiss and his fellow Sherpas to reach the summit. His determination and perseverance made a lasting impression on them. In the end, Tenzing would say this about the experience, quote, The best it had ever been on a mountain trip, not only in the success of our climbs, but in the enjoyment we had from them, end quote. The expedition with the Swiss was important to Tenzing's development as a climber, as a leader, and as a person. He saw that the Sherpas did not have to be servants. Instead, they could and should be full-fledged members of any expedition. In 1950, Tenzing would be hired as the Sirdar for a British group looking to map the borders of northern Pakistan, However, upon arriving, the group would get turned back by the Pakistani government. So instead of a survey mission, the expedition's leaders decided to climb a mountain, Nanga Parbat. This was not anything to be taken lightly. Nanga Parbat was unclimbed, and 15 Sherpas had died on the mountain in the 1930s. Well, this attempt would be a disaster. The Sherpas, including Tenzing, recognized the folly of the attempt and tried to discourage the British from climbing it. But two of the mountaineers insisted on giving it a try, and they would not come back. In 1951, as the British did a reconnaissance of Everest, an expedition led by Eric Shipton, and whose ranks included Edmund Hillary, Tenzing would spend some time climbing with a French group. Their goal was to climb one of the two peaks of Nada Devi. They would then traverse a two-mile ridge to a sub-peak called Nada Devi East and descend. It was something no one had ever done. 
Two members of the French team, Roger Duplat and Gilbert Vignier, would make the final attempt, although Tenzing asked to go with them. His request was denied, as their plan was always just to make it a two-man team. It was a decision that likely saved his life. Duplat and Vignes would disappear on their ascent and never be seen again. Perhaps Tenzing's experience would have saved the men, but what they were trying to do was very difficult. So difficult, in fact, no one has ever completed the traverse of the Nada Devi Peaks, as far as I could find. By the way, on this expedition, Tenzing would climb to the top of Nada Devi East, an elevation of 24,391 feet, or 7,434 meters. It was the highest mountain he had ever climbed, and he would later say it was more difficult than Everest. 1951 would bring one more disaster for Tenzing. That fall, he would be hired to climb Kanchenjunga with a young Swiss mountaineer named George Frey. Things went well at first, but then, while climbing, Frey would slip and fall down a mountainside. Tenzing would almost go with Frey, losing his ice axe in the process. Frey's body would be found 1,400 feet below. Now, I don't mention these deaths to imply that Tenzing was doing a poor job. I mention them as a reminder of how dangerous these mountains could be. A simple fall could result in someone's death. At times, the European climbers, in their desire for glory and adventure, would push themselves to do things that were far too risky. Also, these were hard experiences for Tenzing, but he learned so much. He was now in his late 30s, and he was seen as the wise mountaineer instead of the brash youngster. But with all of that out of the way, we get to the really serious stuff in our story, the assault on Everest. For Tenzing Norgay, he had been on some Everest expeditions, but none had ever gotten close to summoning the Great Peak. But in 1952, that would change. As we noted last time, the British, under Eric Shipton, had scouted out a route to the summit of Everest. The route went like this. You reached the Kumbu Glacier and followed it into the mountains. As you did this, you had to traverse the deadly Kumbu Icefall. This would lead to the elusive western Coombe, a big basin at the base of Everest. Once you crossed the Coombe, you then had to climb up to the South Call. This was where Everest met its neighboring mountain, Lhotse. From the South Call, you could then follow the southeastern ridge to the summit. I want to stress that this looked like a viable route, but there were no guarantees until someone actually gave it a try. The expedition's leader would be Edward Weiss Duna, who invited Tenzing to be the expedition Sirdar, and just as important, a full-fledged member of the team. Tenzing was thrilled by the opportunity. For him, this was his dream. He was going back to Everest, not as a Sherpa or a porter, but as a member of an alpine team. He would say it was, quote, the greatest honor that had ever been paid me, end quote. The Swiss expedition was not huge, but it was not small either. There were nine climbers and 14 high-altitude Sherpas, plus four and a half tons, or 4,570 kilos, of gear and there would be oxygen for the higher altitudes. The Swiss team had met with Eric Shipton and planned out their attack on the mountain using all the knowledge the British had gathered the previous year. Tenzing was tasked with finding all the Sherpas for the expedition, which he would do, despite the reluctance of many. These men knew where Tenzing was going, and the stories of the difficulties of Everest had spread throughout the climbing community, and many people did not want to participate. Still, Tenzing would get his team together and fly into Kathmandu in March of 1952. By the way, this was the first expedition that would actually be launched from Kathmandu, thanks to their brand new airport. From Kathmandu, it would be a 16-day march, hauling tons of gear and supplies, to Namchi Bazaar in the Kumbu region, the same town Shipton and Hillary had come to the previous year. From Namchi Bazaar, everything would be transported to the Kumbu Glacier, just below the icefall. This is where base camp was established. By the way, Tenzing would form a friendship with one of the Swiss climbers, a man named Raymond Lambert. Lambert was a legend in the climbing community. He loved the mountains and loved climbing. 
1938, he had been trapped on a mountain in the Alps by a sudden storm and had survived three days sheltered in a crevasse. He had lost all of his toes because of that, but he had never stopped climbing. Despite the two not speaking each other's languages, Tenzing and Lambert would form a lifelong friendship. After four days of probing, the Swiss team would eventually find their way through the dreaded icefall. They would establish a route for the Sherpas to follow, and soon two tons of supplies were being carried through the mass of ever-shifting ice. The Sherpas were reluctant to cross the icefall at first, but in time their nerves settled and the transportation of supplies continued. After the icefall, there were other challenges, including massive crevasses, but once they crossed the western coombe, the big question was how to reach the south call. The first option was to go up the glacier to the right, easier looking but more out of the way. The second option was to go straight up a steep snow and ice slope called the Geneva Spur. The Swiss would choose the latter, and it would be a mistake. The problem was that it was steeper and more dangerous, and there was no place to set up an intermediate camp. The expedition needed to transport supplies from the western coombe up to the south call, but the reality was that it was simply impossible to carry heavy loads up in a single day. And there was also another issue, oxygen. In addition to being too heavy, the gear simply didn't work very well, providing little benefit to the user. As a result, when the Swiss made their attempt to reach the summit, all the supplies needed to do so just didn't get to the south call, and the lack of oxygen did no one any favors. So up towards the south call would go the Swiss. The team would eventually find a spot to camp near the south call at a height of around 26,000 feet or 8,670 meters. The night they spent there was a miserable one. Exhaustion and altitude sickness was affecting everyone. The next day of the Sherpas, only Tenzing was able to continue. Lambert would say this of Tenzing, quote, he was in extraordinary condition, end quote. Lambert would also note how Tenzing twice went back and gathered gear abandoned by the other porters and brought it to the camp. The climb up the ridge would be slow, much too slow to consider making a try for the summit that day. Eventually, Tenzing and Lambert and two other climbers would reach an altitude of 27,500 feet or 9,170 meters, but as darkness approached, a decision had to be made about what to do next. The problem was that no one, except for Tenzing, had brought a tent, and the tent that Tenzing had was only large enough for two men. Plus, there were no sleeping bags or stove. The latter was essential for melting snow, for water to drink. It was decided that Lambert and Tenzing would stay the night and make a try for the summit the next day. The other climbers would embrace Tenzing and Lambert, wish them luck, and head back down the mountain. That night, the two men huddled together in their small tent, refusing to go to sleep, worried that they would not wake up if they did so. And the lack of water was a serious problem as the men were dehydrated. Lambert said, quote, We were overtaken by a consuming thirst. End quote. Tenzing would find a candle in his pack and melt a little snow into an empty tin, but it was only a few drops, and the men needed much, much more. When daylight finally came to Everest, it would reveal gray storm clouds surrounding the neighboring mountains. Despite the threat of storms, no thought was given to turning around. They had come too far for that. The final climb up Everest was doomed to fail. The oxygen gear was barely working, and they would have to stop every 50 feet or so, 17 meters, just to recover their wind. It got so bad they were even crawling on their hands and knees at times. For five hours, the two men pushed onward and upwards, but they only gained an altitude of 650 feet, or 215 meters. They reached an altitude of 8,595 meters, or 28,199 feet, by following along the southeastern ridge. The height would be a new world record. But Lambert knew that the summit was out of reach. They were over 800 feet, or 267 meters, from the top. If they didn't turn around now, they would never make it back. 
And Tenzing understood this as well. He had seen what obsession had done to other climbers, men who had risked it all for a slim chance of success. It just wasn't worth it. It was time to turn back. The two men would reach the camp on the south call that afternoon. Tenzing fell to his knees, utterly exhausted and dehydrated. The other team members were waiting for them and carried them both into the tents where they would collapse into sleep. Tenzing and Lambert would eventually head back down Everest while a second team would make another attempt on the summit. That team, however, would be stuck on the south call for three days due to bad weather and have to retreat. And with that, the 1952 Swiss Everest expedition was done. The expedition had failed in its primary goal, to climb Everest, but they had identified a route nearly to the top of the mountain. In reality, only about the last 90 meters, or 300 feet, of the route to the summit remained unknown. Also, we can't forget about the new altitude record. And finally, no one had died in this attempt. To the Sherpas, that was a big win. Once recovered from their ordeal, the expedition would depart Everest. In Namchi Bazaar, a couple of the Swiss climbers would encounter Eric Shipman's crew, including Ed Hillary, now returned from their attempt to climb Cho Oyu. The Swiss would share their experiences, information that would come in handy on next year's expedition. Now, before we finish today, I want to note that the Swiss would make another attempt on Everest later that year. This would be in autumn, after the monsoon. The Swiss party, which included Tenzing and Lambert, would again reach the South Col, but they would be turned back due to bad weather. Unfortunately, a Sherpa would die when ice crashed down on him under the Geneva Spur. It was the first Sherpa death on Everest since 1922. On the return journey, Tenzing's health would take a bad turn as he developed a high fever, and he was simply exhausted from all that he had been through. Despite being half delirious from his illness, Tenzing and the team would be invited to meet Nepal's king. There, Tenzing was given a medal for the honor and respect that he had brought to his people. It was a pretty big deal for the son of a yak herder. Through it all, the Swiss came away impressed by Tenzing. He had shown himself to be an excellent leader and mountaineer. Lambert would give Tenzing a red scarf at the end of the expedition as a token of his appreciation. Tenzing would wear the scarf on his climb with Hillary. Tenzing Norgay would return to Darjeeling 20 pounds lighter due to his health issues. The Swiss were so worried about him, they had him taken directly to a hospital once he returned to India. He would be hospitalized for 10 days as he recovered. And while in the hospital, he would have a lot to think about and that is because he had returned to Darjeeling to find a letter from Major Charles Wiley, a member of the Himalayan Committee in London. It was an offer for Tenzing to join the 1953 British Mount Everest expedition. But that, my friends, is for next time, when we get together the two stars of our series, Tenzing Norgay and Edmund Hillary, for their famous summit on Everest. And with that, we are done for the day. I hope you have enjoyed this journey through the life of Tenzing Norgay and the world surrounding the legendary Sherpas. It is, to be honest, a fascinating tale, and it will only get better. So there you go. Thank you for listening. I will see you next time for part three in our series on Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay and the Conquest of Everest.